Well, the message, once again, is simply the Apostle Philip. We're taking each of these 12, one at a time, and to um, learn from them. Uh, the men that God has used from the beginning of time are men who are imperfect and fail God. Often people have a wrong concept about a Christian or a pastor or anybody who uh, says they have come to God and know him. And, of course, I'm talking about the biblical perspective. And they think that they're sinless or, you know, better than somebody else. Now we're just rash like anybody else. The Bible says that our heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, and that, uh, that garment is a menstrual garment. So when you think that you're something, think about that. Just a little longer, okay? Um, Noah, after the flood, got drunk, and he laid there naked. Abraham didn't obey God immediately to depart until his father's death. He lied about his wife being his sister, and then he was rebuked by an unbeliever. Jacob was a scammer of scammers, second only to his mother. David, an adulterer, a murderer, terrible father. Great king, but terrible father. Jonah was carnal, self-willed. He, uh, he knew his God. That's why he ran away from him. He just didn't want to be like his God. He didn't like those sinners. The 12 apostles were no different, ladies and gentlemen. Um, they were men of flesh like you and I. Here's what makes the difference. When a man or a woman yields to God to walk in the spirit. That makes all the difference in the world. It makes the difference between a light bulb going on and not going on. Let's look at Philip. Because he was such a man in need of learning to yield to God in order to walk in the Spirit. And it's evident by a threefold lens through his life. Let me give you the three hooks. We're going to look at the man Philip. Secondly, we'll move to the call of Philip and we'll finish up with the Apostle Philip. The man Philip comes first. Um, the man Philip appears only 14 times in the New Testament. Uh, Philip's name appears three times in the Synoptic Gospels. Um, you can follow them through Matthew 10.3, Mark 3.18, and Luke uh, 6.14, and you compare those things. Uh, the, and the beauty about the Gospels, you compare them, you get extra information. There's no contradiction. Um, the appearance is in the first list of the 12 of the apostles, and the name Philip always appears first in the second group of the next four apostles. The man Philip is the leader of the second group of four, which was the least intimate in their fellowship with Jesus from the first four, the first four being Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The apostle Philip is joined with Nathaniel, perhaps an indication of their co-labor, and uh, even in going out maybe two by two. Philip's name appears ten times in the Gospel of John, it is in John's gospel that we get the greatest and only information about Philip. This information is all that God has saw fit to provide for us in order to study the lessons to distinguish him and to see the difference of the individuals from the others. 
And God focuses sometimes on one and not so much on the other. And God has his sovereign purposes for that reason. But one thing you can be sure that the whole of Scripture is everything you'll ever need for life. God didn't leave anything out. If he left something out, we don't need it. That's important. Now, we must look carefully along to search out the riches hidden in Philip um, for our learning. The ten times his name appears in John is related to four events. Philip's call in John 1, 43 through 48. Then Philip's calculating mind in John 6, 5 through 7. And Philip's closed heart in John 12, 21 through 22. And Philip's slow mind in John 14, 8 through 9. We will look at these points a little more in depth as we move on in our latter points. Now, Philip's name appears once in Acts, in Acts 1.13, and his name is followed by Bartholomew in the three synoptic gospels in the list of the twelve. The name in Acts changes orders, and Thomas comes second, and he third in Acts 1.13. And whether this indicates a change in order of importance or not is uncertain, though it is interesting he's not found anywhere after Pentecost in the book of Acts. Now, Philip's name is Greek, and it comprises of two words. Philos, which is uh, one of the forms of love that we have described in the scriptures, which means a, a fondness, a friendly love. And ippos, which means horses. The two come together, a compound word, and it means lover of horses. Remember, a lot of these guys, although they were Jewish, they had Greek names also, um, and even a third name sometimes. And Jesus always liked to change names, so that was another one. Uh, the custom was the bearing of the Greek um, with the Jewish name. And um, we don't know the Jewish one. For all the 12 disciples, uh, they were Jews. Now, the name of Philip is not to be confused with other men who are called Philip in the scriptures. Uh, so it's always important to look at the context, to look at the content where you're reading and who this guy is. And that's the reason why God gives us some genealogies. Uh, maybe you've gone through some of those in the Old Testament and you think that God put them in there just when you can't sleep. That's not what it's there for. It's for you to check out and correlate them and, com and compare them to show you how accurate and how inerrant and how infallible the Word of God is. Now, you do know that the major universities and seminaries do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, right? Fuller Cemetery here, APU, and all the rest, okay? They have given up on that. Well, if you give up on the inerrancy of Scripture, then what are you doing studying the Scripture if it's not Scripture? What are you doing calling yourself a Christian? Pretty heavy. And so you've got a weird kind of thing going on today within the church. The greatest enemy today, ladies and gentlemen, is inside the church, not outside. Judas Iscariot are found inside the church, not outside. Very, very important, okay? And that's why every, all the warnings in the New Testament, as well as the Old, are to believers, not to non-believers. Non-believers are dead. You evangelize them. Believers are alive, and they're warned against deception. All right? Very, very important. Philip is one of the 12 apostles of Jesus, and Philip is distinguished from Philip the evangelist. Uh, he is an axa, um as we see him there, he began as a deacon in Acts 6 5. Um, he got born again. He's serving the people there. Uh, when the Hebrew Grecian women were complaining about uh, uh, there being a, um, 
a cultural um, preference, nothing new under the sun. Today they're going to pit black against white, rich against poor, everything else. Listen, you're a Christian. You don't let anybody pitch you. You don't go with the world. You do not let the world set the agenda. God could care less about your color, about your race, about your nationality, whether you're short, whether you're fat, whether you have long hair, no hair, it doesn't matter. Here's your identity, male and female, born again or dead. Okay? So Christians never get divided through worldly agendas. Very important. A lot of young people go to university. Keep that in mind. Okay? They're not there to educate you. They're there to indoctrinate you into the world mindset. And you must be careful. Um, he became known for his gifts of evangelism. In fact, he's called Philip the Evangelist in Acts 21.8. He's the only one called an evangelist in Scripture. There are other evangelists that are doing evangelism, but he's the only one called. Uh, Philip is distinct from Philip, who was um, the tetrarch also of Iturea, one of the sons of Herod the Great in Luke 3.1. And Philip is distinct from another son of Herod the Great, who was the first husband of Herodias, who was uh, disinherited by his father and lived a very private life. You find him in Matthew 14.3, Mark 6.17, and Luke 3.19. Now, the home of Philip, uh, he was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Uh, Matthew 10.3 again gives us that as well as Mark 3.18. And Philip was from the same city that Andrew and Peter were from and without any doubt were friends uh, as they grew up in that. Um, you know, as you grow up, uh, today is a little different, but it still goes on, the people dynamics and the movement. But when I grew up in the 60s, you usually were, grew up in the same neighborhood. You know, the people around you, everybody knew everybody and everything else, you know. And, uh, and these guys, again, it's just a very small community in terms of uh, the Jewish community in Galilee. And, uh, and they knew one another. Um, Philip, therefore, was probably friends with them. Uh, even James and John, they all knew each other. And um, they, they were in business together, Peter and Andrew, as we've seen. Uh, and so uh, they, they had those contacts. You know, people uh, that, that knew your brother and, you know, they, they got married to your sister. And, you know, and the stars are cooking up and the, the, the dots start connecting. You know what I mean? That's the way it happens. Now, Philip could have uh, very well been a fisherman also, though we are, are not told that, as well as... Um, one of John the Baptist's disciples, like Andrew and John. Many of these guys were first disciples of John the Baptist, and John the Baptist pointed them to them. They, they were saying, you know, you know, more people are going to Jesus. And, and John said, uh, uh, I'm not the, uh, the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. And he said, behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, he pointed them. I must decrease, and he must increase. Or again, even within the disciples, trying to pit. We always compare. We always competition. No, 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 no. You have to be careful. One day, a missionary and his wife were on the same ship that Teddy Roosevelt was returning from one of his African uh, trips. Uh, he would go on safaris, and it was very crowded. Everybody was cheering, welcoming home. And the missionary said to his wife, you know, it's not fair. We have given our lives to the Lord's work, and no one is here to welcome us. Uh, his loving bride wisely responded, yes, but we're not home yet. And that's very important. Um, if you're not careful, the tide of um, society, its corruption, its influence, its attractions will take you like when you go out to the beach and get out there and you're riding the waves before you know it, you're 15 lifeguards down. 
stations. Uh, you must keep perspective. Keep your eyes on the Lord and the scriptures and compare everything. Remember, the word of God is the plumb line. No plumb line is ever crooked. It's always the wall. You and I are crooked walls. You must drop that plumb line and allow it to get you straight. Very much so. Some of the most um, acknowledged people in heaven are going to be those who were never known on earth. <laughs> it's going to be a whole different thing from here. Even as Paul told the servants of his day to serve their masters, not with eye service as man pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart in Ephesians 6. 6. Stop and think about that statement. They beat, they kill their slaves. Paul says, submit to them, pray for them, be an example to them. Wow. We're social justice of today, huh? <laughs> you think the world just got corrupt all of a sudden? Let's go back to the garden. <laughs> Hasn't stopped since. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same of the Lord, whether he is slave or free, Ephesians 6, 8 says. What we do, we do to the Lord, as unto the Lord. God is not going to reward you and me for how much I've done or what you've done, but he's going to reward you for this. What, how and why you did it. The motive of your heart, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. God could care less of how much you give. God could care less how much you do. God cares, are you doing it for the love of God, for the love of people? And if it's not, it'll get on the fan belt, and it will be crispy critter, gone. You're saved by fire at the judgment of being on the seat of Christ, but everything will be revealed in that day. So it's important. The most effective people are those who are themselves, not an imitator of someone else. God will use your own personality, your own person. God will enhance all that you are through the gifts of the Spirit and as He leads you and guides you so you don't have to wish there was two of somebody else and none of you. Uh, a lot of you young people in the millennial kingdom, uh, or not the millennial, the, the, um, the millennials that they call you, um, you're living in a different world, a make-believe world many times. Everybody's a star with their little camera and they have their own show and their own followings. Um, uh, it's a very sh shallow life. Um, nobody comes to talk. Nobody wants to deal with relationships. We're moving to the technological way. You, you date. You get married through dating services, everything else. Um, I, I like physical things. I like to touch and talk to people. You know what I mean? Um, uh, I, I, it's just it's a very superficial world, and you have to be careful if you're a Christian now. Okay? Once again, you have to have the mind of Christ, and you live in the world. You're not of the world, but you live in the world. Once again, the boat belongs in the water. It's when the water gets in the boat that the boat gets in trouble, right? So there's always that caution, always. The pattern of God touching the lives of a common circle of friends and acquaintances is God's sovereignty. And he does that all the time throughout history. God um, reached out to use Moses and Aaron, both brothers. Exodus 4.27, God chose the family of Aaron to be the high priest in Exodus 28, 1. And God chose David, some of his relatives, many that knew him, and he put them together in 1 Samuel 16, 13. And God in his sovereign work did the work. They were all imperfect. So this was the man Philip. No different. Two things are always consistent. God is holy, man is sinful. That never changes. Keep the rules very simple, very clear. You won't have problem interpreting scripture. Guaranteed. 
Second comes the call of Philip. Philip was found by Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 43, Jesus had been, um, had been found by Andrew and, um, and John uh, the day before. Remember when we studied him in verse 43. And Jesus then wanted to go into Galilee, uh, but not for mere adventure or anything, but for, uh, or not even relaxation. Um, Jesus went to Galilee to find Philip, John 1.43 tells us. The plan of Jesus in choosing certain men includes this man, Philip. He is the only one that is said to be found by Jesus. The only one to be said to be found by Jesus. None of the others. And as much as the scriptures tell us, he must uh, needs go through Samaria, the scripture says. So Jesus had to go find Philip. Um, God knew what the son must do. The son depended on the father, took his orders every day, and he went out to do through the father only what the father wanted to. Jesus never did anything as God. He did it as man, the last Adam, depending on the father, so that you and I have no excuse, and therefore we are able to do the same thing. It doesn't mean we will. It says we can't. Wow. The plan was to use him to preach the gospel to the world with all his imperfections, with all his limitations, with all his objections. Um, Pastor Chuck, the late Pastor Chuck, used to say there was no one more common as he. And, um, and it's, every pastor has to say that. If not, they think they're special. Uh, well, God uses normal people. No one's special. Uh, some are just specially sinful, but no one's special. Um, the plan was to transform him into the image of Christ, his master. So that's the common denominator, making him less like what he was in time um, as he depended on Jesus and making him more like his master uh, from the time that he came to follow. So you have to look at your life. Where am I at from the time that I accepted Jesus Christ? How far have I come? And what has God done? It's important for you to take that inventory once in a while. Uh, because a lot of uh, Christians, like uh, teachers, you know, they say, well, I taught in elementary school for 25 years. Now you taught it 25 times, but you, um, you didn't grow, you didn't develop, neither did the kids. And there's a lot of Christians like that, too. They're still um, wearing their diapers and scraping their knees, and they want their bottle, and, you know, they've never grown, never mature. And uh, you must uh, press towards the mark. You must see all three at every level uh, growth, development, and maturity. We require that of our children, right? When we tell our child, act your age, we're saying that he's 15, he's acting like a nine-year-old, right? Okay? It's a, it's a sharp reproof. And it, it happens with believers also. Jesus called Philip to follow him. He is the fourth to receive the call of discipleship. And John had followed Jesus with Andrew as John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus, as you know, in John 1.40. And this is the day after Jesus had called Andrew and Peter, John 1.43 tells us. So we can look at the material given to us that we can actually pinpoint the chronology of it. It takes some doing, but you can do it. Um, he follows Jesus when he heard the call. He did not procrastinate by saying um, he had many things he wanted to do first. He did not hesitate saying that he wasn't sure if it was worth or if it was right. Uh, he was ready for both to call and to follow Jesus as a life commitment, not that mere part-time association. Ask yourself, are you serving God full-time or part-time? has nothing to do whether you're in ministry full-time, getting paid. It has everything to do, are you committed as a Christian? The same thing goes as a husband and a wife. Are you a, are you a full-time husband and wife, or are you part-time? 
or on any level that you want to look at. Very, very important. The world teaches us to be superficial and flaky, live for ourselves, not for others. Remember the middle letter of the word sin is I, okay? That's the problem, always. Now, Philip found Nathaniel in John 145 of John, and Philip decided to find uh, Nathaniel one of his close friends, notice. He's like Andrew, but more selective in who can come to Jesus. So we have good things we learn from people, and we have bad things to learn from people. Um, there's nobody who's perfect. Um, he is calculating and rational and minding, not um, minding Nathaniel to come to Jesus, but not sure about some Greeks. Nathaniel is the same person as Bartholomew, by the way. Okay, Not two different people, they're the same person. Now, Philip declared that they had found him whom Moses and the law had also, um, uh, the prophets had written there in John 145. The implication being that Philip was a student of the word of God. He obeyed the commandments of the law back in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Joshua 1a, and he was very familiar with the law. He was being guided by the truth of God's word, not the trends of the day. <clears throat> what do you make your decisions on? How are you guided in life? If you're looking to uh, CNN, to Fox, to uh, your universities that turn out their Marxist socialists every year, march them out into the world, um, then you're, you're going to be more crooked than you are now. Um, you must follow God's word. God's word has survived the centuries. God's word has been saving people and straightening their life out for centuries, in spite of the culture, in spite of the agendas, in spite of the empires, in spite of anything. They're gone. The word of God is still here. The evidence being that Philip was looking and searching. He was believed, he believed the promises of God. He was looking for God to act in his lifetime. He was sure about having found God, though. The fulfillment of John the Baptist's ministry had been fulfilled, as you know. The glory of the Lord had been revealed, and all flesh saw him. Uh, we, we saw the quotation of Isaiah chapter 40, verse 5. The road had been prepared faithfully uh, for the Lamb of God, uh, fulfillment partially of Malachi 3.1, a double prophecy of Elijah later to come. The Messiah had appeared suddenly in the temple in partial fulfillment, and the cleansing of the temple, again, a fulfillment of Malachi 3.1. So as we've seen some of these minor prophets that we've studied, and we see the incredible accuracy of prophecy, and that's what distinguishes the Bible and Christianity from any other religion. No religion has prophecy, only the Bible. God knows the end from the beginning. He tells you things before they happen, so when they happen, you know he's God. Isaiah chapter 40 to the end. Very, very clear. Philip identified Jesus as the long-awaited Messiah. In verse 45 there of John, Jesus is his human name, his earthly name, Yahweh Shua. Jesus means Yahweh of salvation. Joshua is a contraction of Yahweh Shua. Joshua in the Hebrew is translated Jesus in the Greek. Who's Jesus? Yahweh of salvation. You shall name his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his, their sins. Matthew chapter 1. Jesus was from Nazareth in the Galilee. Jesus was the son of Joseph by name, but not by conception, for he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, as Matthew 1, 18 through 20 says. 
that which is conceived in use of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Now Philip directly is questioned in his assessment of Jesus by Nathaniel there in John 146. Uh, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Pasadena, Burbank, Ballon Park, Arcadia? Nazareth was not the most reputable place, not the most cultural region. If you were God, where would you have had your son be born? Where would you have had your son make the center of his ministry? Where would you have had him live? Well, if I was God the way I think, I would have had him on a top hotel and best hospital and the most elite of the educators and all, right? Because I have to impress the world. Well, God's not impressed with the world. He's concerned and loves the world, but he's not impressed with the world at all, guaranteed. Um, Philip said, come and see in verse 46. Invited Nathaniel to come and see. The invitation was as if Jesus was making it. Come, being one of the disciples of Jesus, an ambassador. The minute you're born again, your life's jacked up for good. You know too much. You have come face to face with the living God, the one who died for your sins. It comes to every person and must be decided by each person. It will affect each person's eternity. Nobody, nobody gets sent to hell without their permission. Do you hear me? Oh, what the men and women in hell right now this morning would give to hear the gospel one more time. Just one more time. Hmm. The blessing was to see the Messiah of God. Seeing one needs of forgiveness. Seeing one's need of transformation. That's what the gospel does. You know, I had a friend. I still have a friend that was a nightclub musician. And he got saved all, all, all by himself just reading the Bible. I mean, God doesn't need us. He'll use us. He doesn't need me. Jesus found him right there when he was reading the Bible. We see the same thing with Philip. Now, Philip's a beautiful type of those Jesus sovereignly reveals himself to apart from uh, another person then. How many individuals have been saved uh, just all on their own, whether at the beach, at the mountains, whatever it is, or just open the Bible, as I said. How many have been saved in prison? Now, I know there's a lot of prison conversions, and once they get in the street, that's it, they go south, okay? But there are some that do, okay? It's like the world. It's like the um, crusades that people have, okay? Um, 10,000 come up. You'll be lucky if maybe um, um, 100 will walk. So numbers are nothing. Numbers are only to impress people. Um, Everybody cheers on earth, and the angels throw up in heaven. Interesting. Different perspective, huh? God still is out to save people, right? So we preach. We believe God can save. We believe that each person makes that decision on their own. We believe if they believe the gospel, the gospel will transform them and change them 180 degrees. Like he has to you and to myself. That's the hope, ladies and gentlemen. No other. From the human perspective, we um, find Jesus, but... From the divine perspective, Jesus finds all of us. 
by the simple fact that we're lost, not Jesus. And he came to seek that which was lost, John 3.16. Um, Philip type individuals go and find close friends to share their newly found Messiah and their faith. The men and me and my brother were born again. We just started sharing. We had Kung Fu studios. We shared with our Kung Fu students, all that, and many came to the Lord. And you just start sharing with our friends in high school, everything else, right? It's just natural. Um, if that's not the inclination, then maybe there's a good chance you're not born again or you're just awfully carnal. I'll let you decide which one. Um, but it's one of the two. Um, they share the faith of the person of Christ, the Messiah, through the scriptures. You begin to study the word. You give people the word. You're not giving your own opinion. You point them to Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman. You give John, uh, Isaiah 7.14, behold, a virgin shall bear a child. She calls his name Emmanuel. You tie them together with Matthew 1.23, and here it is. God's prophecy. God fulfills it. You share the person of Jesus to be God incarnate, that he was God. And he manifests himself in glory, the human body, John 1, 1, 1, 14. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and God was the word, and the word became flesh, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Whoa. Amazing. Revelation, objective truth, not opinion, not myth, objective truth. The Bible is propositional truth, objective truth. The emergent church teaches subjective reasoning. They don't believe they can learn anything from the Bible. No objective truth. Whoa. That's neo-orthodox from the German school that infiltrated Fuller Seminary. Okay. It's all over, ladies and gentlemen. If you poison the well, everybody drinks from it, everybody gets dead. Are we clear? The Trojan horse to America is education, public and Christian, today. Wow. Are we the only ones? Nah, we're not. There's others out there. I just don't know who they are. They share Jesus that he can forgive their sins and transform them, make them new creations, Second Corinthians 5.17 says, regardless of what's going on. There's no qualifier. Only those who commit this type of sins and those under here, you're done. No. Everything. They share the most basic characteristics of Christianity. If you're not sharing your faith with others, then... Um, I would question uh, what's going on in your life. The kingdom of God uh, ruling in my heart and yours is an enlargement of the kingdom of God here on earth as God adds to the church daily such as should be saved. So Philip individuals um, um, are types that um, they don't argue. They don't quit. Um, they're, they're challenged and they just give the word of God out. They present Jesus. Uh, we're to provide an invitation experience uh, knocking on the door of our heart, Revelation 3.20, even though that's out of context, that's Jesus asking the church to let him back in. That's not evangelism, okay? I know we use it for evangelism, but the context is Jesus has been kicked out of his church, the church of Jesus, and he's asking back in individually. That's the context of it, okay? But we invite people to accept Jesus. We're to provide the answer to every man for the reason of the hope that lies in us with meekness and fear, First Peter 3.15 says. If, if you had to defend the Trinity, can you do it from the Old Testament? If you had to defend the Messiah, can you do it just with the Old Testament? How about the gifts of the Spirit? How about the rapture? How about the second coming? How about the day of the Lord? It's all here, ladies and gentlemen. It's like when you start in kindergarten, you work your way. But it takes years. But you keep pressing forward. You keep reading. You keep studying. You keep serving. And you grow. You develop. You mature. And God takes care of the rest.
We're to be confident that they will see their sinful state and their need of salvation because we believe the Spirit of God convicts them and turns on that light as he did with you and with myself. No one can be convinced uh, to go to heaven. You don't get into heaven by being convinced. You get into heaven because you've been convicted and transformed and born again. We are inviting individuals to be disciples and students of Jesus, not of ourselves, not mere intellectual knowledge, but also to be transformed from glory to glory by the Spirit of God, as 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us. Um, um, we are inviting people to follow Jesus um, um, out of darkness into the light and to be that light and that salt to the world. As uh, we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, Colossians 1.13 says we've been translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the son of his love. Um, and uh, time flies. It, it, just, it just flies. So this was um, the call of Philip. A little different from the other ones. Let's finish up with the apostle um, Philip. Uh, again, we'll use John here. In John chapter 6, in verse 1 through 7. Philip was a pragmatic apostle when you study him. Um, Jesus was just, uh, uh, had just crossed the Sea of Galilee uh, or Tiberias. There's different names for it, Gennesaret also. Jesus was being followed by a multitude for he had performed signs to those who were sick. And he had healed them in verse 2. And in verse 3 and 4, Jesus went up to the mountain and sat with his disciples. The multitude were greater for the Passover was near at this time. And then in verse 5, Jesus lifted his eyes and seeing the multitude coming towards him, asked Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? <laughs> Sometimes when Jesus asks some questions, you go, and he's gone? <laughs> John provides by way of um, commentary the purpose behind the question to Philip in verse 6. Jesus said this to test Philip. Jesus had just done many miracles, healing the sick. Jesus had turned the water into wine. Without doubt, Philip had been there. Jesus wanted to see if Philip was learning to trust him in the impossible out of a compassion for people. Now, you're not to go do what God told somebody else to do. You're only to do what God tells you to do. Don't try to be someone else or to do what somebody else God told them to do. You're just to do what God tells you to do. Okay, very important. Now, Jesus knew what he would do in verse 6 there. Jesus knew he was going to multiply the five barley loaves and the 12, and, of 12 breads and the, and the two fish that Andrew pointed out feeding the 5,000 in verse 8 through 14. So Jesus knew all this. Okay, he's discipling them. He's teaching them. He's preparing them. He's counting on the 12 to carry on and be the very foundation of the church once he leaves, okay? Jesus also knew um, the outcome of Philip's test, but for the benefit of the other apostles and us who read it, it was written. And so we, we are instructed, and this is the thing about inductive Bible study, is you only, you only record what is registered. You don't read into it. You don't, you don't become subjective in your teaching, once again, the plumb line. A lot of people say a lot of things the text says, but it's not there. Okay? Every text only means one thing. Many, many applications, but one interpretation. There may be, maybe in this hand right here, the number, they might go one way or the other. Every letter, every epistle was written to a set time, to a set people, for a set purpose, for a set problems. 
And if you look at the language, you look at the historical background, and you look at the culture, you will get the interpretation of it. You've got to roll up your sleeves and do it, but it takes some time, but you can do it. Now, Philip, in verse 7, told Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Philip has a calculating mind. Philip is a pragmatic individual who assesses the problem at hand and says, um, it just can't be done. Uh, we, we just do not have enough money. Philip was um, not drawing from what the, the rich resources that Jesus had been giving him. And sometimes we do that in life whether it be in a practical way or a spiritual way, and, and we're not accumulating and amassing and applying the things that we've learned. Um, it was not drawing from all, all his wealth. Now, Philip did not hear what Jesus asked him. Jesus asked him, where shall we buy bread? Not how shall we feed them? All right? We all think different, but more so when male and female. I'll tell some of my wife, Judy, and she'll come back with something. I'll go, how'd you understand? You do different things. And if you think it's better, the older you get. You see that commercial? That's an awesome thing. I don't see no possum. Interesting. Jesus knew of the 200 denarii in the treasury box. Judas Iscariot carried. He knew everything. He wasn't asking for information. Philip should have gone right back to Jesus and says, Lord, you tell us. Hmm. You see, God tells us to do something and he, he's going to tell us how to do it. But once God directs us, then we get together as men and women and we try to figure out how God's going to do it. And we always think our idea is better than God's. That's why we get in trouble. The physical eye cannot see the things of God. The mind cannot perceive the things of God. The Spirit of God is that one that must be directed and be revealed for the things of God. Uh, second, First Corinthians two nine and ten. I has not seen, near has not heard, neither has entered the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. Uh, the natural man doesn't understand, doesn't receive the things of God, but the spiritual man understands and sees all things. And then he finishes up in verse sixteen. We have the mind of Christ. Here's the problem: we don't put it on. Philippians two five. Let this mind be in you, which is of Christ Jesus. Okay. The car is good, but I got to put the key in the ignition to drive it. Okay. I got to put it on. Notice now in John, let's go to John chapter 12, verse 20 to 22. Philip was a, a prejudiced apostle also. You might not have uh, known that. Uh, certain Greeks came up to worship at the feast in verse 20, and, and they were proselytes. Uh, they were waiting for the Messiah. In verse 21, they came to Philip and said, uh, we wish to see Jesus. Philip perhaps was uh, thought by the Greeks as approachable, Having a Greek name, maybe, you know? 
And Philip, being the leader of the second group of four, was singled out. In 22, Philip went to Andrew and they both went to Jesus. Philip was um, unsure of the answer since they were Greeks revealing his prejudiced heart. It's all there for every one of us, ladies and gentlemen. You always have to check it. Philip forgot how quickly he had offered that invitation to Nathaniel, but had to check with Andrew first. Philip, though being the leader of the second group of four, recognized his lower place before Andrew, the foremost intimate with the Lord Jesus. Philip has been credited by many as the first to introduce Gentiles into the church by these Greeks prior to Cornelius through Peter. Interesting. Now go to verse, go to John 14, 1 through 11. We're going to see Philip was a, um, a perceptively slow apostle. In John 14, 1 through 11, in verse 1, Jesus has just told the disciples he is going to the Father and encourages them not to be afraid, but to believe in him as they had believed in God. Now, the context, he's told them he's leaving. And what do you mean you're leaving? You know, we've been here three and a half years, and where are you going to go? And they're freaking out. In verse 2, Jesus, in fact, tells them that he was going to prepare a place for the for them at the Father's house. And in three, Jesus promised them he would come back to receive them to himself so they could be with him also. Please make that distinction between coming back to receive us to himself from coming back with him. Coming to receive us to himself. This verse, verse three, is the first time Jesus speaks of the rapture. The second coming will come back with him. First Thessalonians, he comes for us. Second Thessalonians will come back with him. Big distinction. You must make it. Look at um, verse 4 and 5. Jesus reminds them <clears throat> that they knew the way to which Thomas declared, Lord, we do not know where you are going or how can we know the way. Jesus responds, um, one of the most valuable truths that refutes any other possible way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Wow. Every ism, every religion, every belief has been wiped out. Every name. One way, Jesus. One name, Acts 4.12, to be saved. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, 1 Timothy 2.5. To me, the gospel is very clear. One name, one way, one mediator. I don't know where you're getting Buddha or reincarnation or religion or your goodness. Wow. Listen to me. God is very narrow. He's not asking for your opinion. He's asking if you agree with him. Wow. Look at verse 7. Jesus immediately says, If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. In other words, Jesus had revealed the very nature of the father. Through his own life, the redemptive love. And in verse 8, Philip declared to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Wow, I'm sure he thought, man, they're gonna, these guys, are, they're all going to go, ooh, that's a great truth. 
Well, three years Philip had been with Jesus and he still failed the test placed before him. The pragmatic mind of Philip refused to have eyes of faith. Show us a father and it will be sufficient for us, he says. Philip failed to grasp that the presence of God was before him in human form. Nevertheless, completely divine. So Jesus rebukes Philip strongly. Look at verse 9. Jesus rebukes Philip for being a slow learner to understand spiritual things, making it very personal. Listen to those words. Have I been with you so long, yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? You can identify if you're a father or a mother. When your son or daughter asks you to tell me, you just look and you go, are you kidding me? Slow learner. When I got hit on my Harley in February 2nd, 201, I was in the emergency ward with a broken neck and my foot was all jacked up. And uh, the doctor was taking care of me. His was named Dr. Disney. And he says, uh, I'm laying down. And he says, how old are you? I said, uh, well, back down. I said, I'm 51, doc. He says, ah, slow learner, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Slow learner. Jesus reasoned with Philip in verse 10 and 11, reminding him that he is and the Father, and the Father in him, the authority was the Father's who dwelt in him and dwelt as doing the works of, that he asked him to believe. This or else for the sake of the very works themselves. Wow. As if to say, if you can't see forward, Philip, at least look backwards to see what I have done. Wow. At times... That is exactly what gives us the faith to go forward. The fact that God has worked in the past faithfully in spite of us. Philip was martyred in Phrygia at Hierapolis for his faith. That's how he ended up. So he did get it. <laughs> On um, Sundays, the Greenville, North Carolina newspaper, the Daily Reflector, used to carry a column on items uh, found by uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not. For some of you that didn't know, there used to be a show. They used to show weird stuff and everything else. Um, and um, in one particular column, it pictured um, a plain bar of iron worth $5. The same bar of iron made into horseshoes uh, would be worth $50. If made into needles, it would be worth $5,000. If made into balance springs for fine Swiss watches, it would be worth $500,000. In God's kingdom, ladies and gentlemen, Paul reminds each of us, each of us have a place in ministry within the church, um, all for the purpose of building up the body of Christ until we all come to the full measure of Christ. And there is no competition, there is no comparison. This hand is not even identical to this one. I've known it for 68 years. It's never compared itself. It's never wanted to be a foot or an ear. The illustration is so vivid and we miss it as Christians. Everybody begins well, then it's competition. Then it's cruise control. It goes from the organism of the church to an organization. And no longer Jesus is the head of the church, but 
a group of men are. Wow. It's embarrassing to be Christian sometimes. Philip-type individuals are necessary in the body and part of the body, but they're detailed men, as we've seen, uh, leaning more to the logical and the rational rather than the miraculous, uh, such as the amount of money to do what God is leading or directing. It appears almost impossible. Kind of like when we purchased this building with 300 people. Uh, for a million eighty thousand. Wow. Or when we built the gym in nineteen ninety one. By the time we got done it was paid cash. How do you do that? Only if God leads you. So when people say God leads me, then God's gonna do it and they're not gonna beg. Not gonna have car washes. Not gonna pump you. They're just gonna continue to teach. And God's going to do it. Very important. Very important. The outreaches. We started the medical outreaches. Just as, let's just do one. And then uh, is there anything else? Well, God doesn't provide doctors anymore. We won't go. We're still going. It takes care of them. The radio station that we have. How'd that happen? Now, am I boasting? No, there's nothing here. Don't look to me. I've done absolutely nothing. I walk in in the morning, I get in my cave, and I spend there all day. Then I get out here, and I teach, and I go home. I've done nothing. Absolutely nothing. Please understand me. So either God's in it, or he's not in it. There's no other option. None at all. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. Faith is believing and trusting God for what he reveals, what he directs, what he declares, what he wants. And he then unfolds it and does it. God doesn't let you know something because he needs help. Okay? Philotype individuals have an Achilles heel though. They like to keep the fellowship to those familiar, like the house of Israel. <laughs> they need to be uh, reminded of the grace over their own lives. They need to be encouraged to be open. Freely you have received, freely give, Matthew ten eight says. Stop and think where God dragged you out of, what he saved you out of. You forget sometimes, you kind of fix your life up like the graduation senior picture, right? A cheesecloth. You have to look at who you are. Okay, and he's made you whiter than snow. Okay? So if God saved you, there's hope for anybody. Absolutely anybody. That's what the gospel said, ladies and gentlemen. Philip-type individuals are slow to grasp spiritual things with um, apprehension in view of the years they have walked with God. They're still um, feeding on milk at times instead of meat, as Hebrews 5, 12 through 14 says. They're um, students of the scriptures, but the word is not mixed with faith, as Hebrews 4, 2 says. Learning and leaning to their own understanding, not acknowledging the Lord, being unable to be led 
by the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, lean not to your understanding, all your ways acknowledge, and he will direct your path. Um, and that everybody has to do for themselves. Every husband, every wife, every son, every daughter. God has no grandchildren. Grandchildren are great, but God doesn't have grandchildren. Only children. Sons and daughters. Phillips are sincere and honest, but dull of hearing. Yet if they can yield to the Lord in faith, they're practical and inquiring minds for detail become incredibly instrumental for the Lord. Even as Philip, he became obedient to the Great Commission. I've already mentioned how he died a martyr. And so we are in process. I am still under construction but just make sure that you're going up and forward, not down and backwards, all right? The direction makes a big difference, ladies and gentlemen. So this was um, the Apostle Philip. Uh, and that's why we're studying one at a time so we can see uh, the men that Jesus has chosen. So Philip was um, in need of learning to yield to God in order to walk in the Spirit to be able to be the man that wants him to be. And we've seen this um, through the man Philip, the call of Philip, and the apostle Philip. Great lessons for us. Let me pray. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your grace, your love, and just um, your, um, your passion for us, Lord, that we pray that it uh, would uh, be contagious towards us, Lord, and that we will become more like you. We thank you for the privilege of being here, for this building, the comfort we have, Lord, just uh, your word, and we pray that we would continue to be used by you in this very dark city, and Lord, in this dark world as we go forward. But Lord, the hope is in you. Um, the hope is in you alone, nobody else, Lord. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and God has brought you here to be saved, whether you're in the balcony, the floor, maybe you're over the internet. If you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man, died for your sins, and rose from the dead, like the Bible says, then you can be saved. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. And as the gospel goes forth, the Holy Spirit turns the light to allow you to see who you are, that you're a sinner separated by God because of sin. He's holy. We're sinful. But it will also reveal to you his love and his grace that he died in your place and that he alone can forgive you for your sins and make a new creature of you and bury your sins in the deepest ocean as far as east as the west. Put them behind his back and never mention them again. That's the invitation he gives to you. And if you're out there and you don't know Jesus, a simple prayer of repentance. This is not a prayer to us, but to the Lord. If you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord. You can repeat it right where you sit. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.